Welcome to CTSI Science Cafe, a community engagement initiative of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. This program is recorded in front of our live community audience at St. Anne Center for Intergenerational Care, Bucyrus Campus in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This May 2017 Science Cafe features a presentation and community conversation focusing on stroke rehabilitation and the impact of technology on recovery. Our guest presenters are Dr. Brian Schmidt, Professor, Department of Biomedical Engineering at Marquette University and the Medical College of Wisconsin and Director of the Stroke Rehabilitation Center of Southeast Wisconsin and Dr. Mariah Iverson from the Medical College of Wisconsin's Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. Here first is Dr. Mariah Iverson. Thank you for having us. So I figured what we would do is we would tell you a little bit about the Stroke Rehab Center of Southeastern Wisconsin and how we got started and what we do and kind of what our plan is moving forward. And then Brian, who's one of the center directors, is gonna talk about a lot of the actual research that we do there too. Um, so this is meant to be a discussion. So if you guys have questions or comments or have anything that pops up in your mind, feel free to just raise your hand or shout it out and be happy to keep that conversation flowing. My name is Mariah Iverson. I manage our program for community engagement and research, and I also manage the Stroke Center. So when we got started with the Stroke Center, I kind of took over the administrative parts of managing the center, but then I also do a lot of our community engagement activities, which I'll talk about in a little while. So that's kind of my role there. Um, I do have cards with me, so I'll give them out. If you want to get a hold of us, you can always feel free to contact me. So the Stroke Center started a couple years ago. Um, I think it was about three years ago we started meeting as Marquette, the Department of Biomedical Engineering and Physical Therapy with the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at the Medical College. Brian and one of the clinical faculty in our department have done many projects together and, and the stroke work has kind of been surfacing over the last several years and we really realized that there was a need for advanced um, research and rehabilitation and that we're both doing things. We have a patient population. Marquette has an amazing biomedical engineering and physical therapy department and that together we can really make a lot of progress on this. Um, another problem is that people aren't people don't know about research that's going on in stroke rehabilitation. So somebody who's had a stroke and goes home, they get their little window of rehab in the hospital and then they might get some on outpatient after they go home, but they don't know about all the cutting edge work that's, that's going on in the scientific field. And so that's another problem is it really presents a barrier for people to get the rehab that they need. And so by creating a center for specifically for stroke rehab, we're hoping to advance this field and really make an impact in people's lives. Um, right now, our center is some cool research space in Freighter Hospital in our rehab gym. And uh, Brian has his lab at Marquette and, we, and uh, faculty members who are part of the Stroke Center who also have lab space at Marquette. Um, we're hoping eventually to move towards an actual center of our own, whether it's in um, a couple different community clinics or if it's at the Medical College or Marquette. We're hoping to have a physical space at some point in time, but for right now, we don't have one location where we're at. Um, 
We really started taking off almost two years ago. We got a grant from the Advancing Healthier Wisconsin Foundation, and that grant was for five years. So we are about two years into a five-year project. And with that money, we're able to fund some of the activities of the center. We've got, Brian's gonna tell you about our actual research projects that we have going on. And then we also have funding for some infrastructure and also some funding to support some new research through pilot awards that we're doing in both clinical and translational science and in community engagement. So this has been a really, really great way to get the Stroke Center started. So we're excited about that and We've really been making some good progress lately. We're, um, our website will be up in about two weeks. We have a Facebook page. We just got our first pilot award approved so that we're gonna be publishing the RFA shortly. So that's exciting. So we're hoping to really be able to fund some cool research on stroke rehab and really get treatments out to help people. I think one of the most interesting things about the Stroke Rehab Center is that we focus a lot on community engagement. There's typically a disconnect in the way that research is done with people who do the research and people who benefit from the research. So the people who benefit from the research oftentimes are not partners in designing the research or the way that the research is done or how the research treatments are delivered after they kind of have proven themselves. This can sometimes create a disconnect between what scientists are doing and doctors are doing and what people actually need. As Western medicine has advanced, this is kind of how it's been. So there's been a really big push in the last several years um, to start focusing on outcomes that are important to patients through patient-centered outcomes research and then also to engage people who have lived experience as partners to design research that really meets their needs. So when we were thinking about what we wanted a stroke rehab center to be, we knew that this was a really important part of it. So we uh, came up with a community academic advisory board. Uh, Brian and I are both on that board along with John McGuire, who is the other director of the stroke center. He's a clinician in physical medicine and rehabilitation. We have four stroke survivors, and we currently have two caregivers. We have one woman whose mother had a stroke, and we have a husband of a woman who had had a stroke. And we also have the stroke trauma coordinator from Frederick Hospital, so she organizes all the stroke survivor support groups. And we're still looking for new people to add to our team. So if you or anyone you know is a stroke survivor or caregiver who might be interested in participating in that way, we meet once a month and um, we ask for a three-year term and we have been meeting since November and we've finished one project. So if you have a, a stroke and you're at Freighter Hospital, when you go home from the inpatient unit, you get a book. It's called the Freighter Stroke Book. It's a little spiral bound book and you open it, it's full of information. I mean, this book is this thick and it's very overwhelming to people. So we decided to take on this book as a community advisory board. So we went through the book over the course of the last few months and made some recommendations for things that we would like to see changed. And Freighter is going to incorporate those changes and 
our stroke survivors have now directly affected the way that people with strokes are going to be seen at Freighter so that people will go home with a book that's a little bit more accessible and a little bit more helpful to them. I think my favorite example is that the book as it exists right now, the people who came up with the book thought that it would be very helpful for people to have statistics about stroke. And one of them is how quickly you will die after you've had a stroke. So when you go home from the hospital, you have this book, and when you open it up, one of the first pages is about death. And this is going home with people who are rehabbing from a stroke. And so one of the biggest things that we change about the book is to make it focus on recovery and rehabilitation. So we renamed the book, renamed it Welcome to Recovery or Welcome to Rehabilitation or something. The book goes in chronological order. So the first chapter will start with what do you need to know right when you get home? Because there's all these things that have now changed. So there's all sorts of things that need to happen. And so the book really goes in chronological order from when you get home, what you need to know to information that you would need to know further out, like reintegrating into the community, driving again, when can I drive again, when can I do these things again. So it's been really exciting to see that process and it's been a super cool opportunity for our clinicians and scientists and stroke survivors to work together on something that's tangible and is actually going to help people. That was kind of our first project that we did together. The second project that we're doing is on this wearable device for stroke rehabilitation. So people who have had a stroke sometimes have a deficit in one of their limbs on one side of their body where they can't tell where their limb is in space and it makes it hard to take care of yourself, to do things safely. And so our engineers from Marquette were thinking that it might be a good idea to develop a device, something that's discreet that you can wear that would maybe buzz when you were getting close to something or would give you some sort of an alert that you're about to bang your arm into the wall or do something that might be dangerous or unsafe. So they brought this idea to our community advisory board and there was tons of discussion. It was really, really, really great. And a lot of different things came up, but one of them was every time you go to get dressed or brush your hair, are you gonna be triggering it to go off? Like how often is it gonna go off before you start ignoring it? Is the device really for training yourself to pay attention to the side of your body that you experience the neglect on? Or is the device to remind you to do things? So is it a training device or is it an alert device? When we ended the meeting, we didn't come away with like a, a total conclusion. There was a lot of ideas that were brought forth, but it was so helpful because there, none of them were things that I necessarily would have thought of as a person who hasn't cared for someone with a stroke or who has not survived a stroke myself. So those are just two examples of things that we're doing from a community engagement perspective. The first one was more related to clinical care, but the second example is a way that you can engage stroke survivors or really any patient population that has lived experience designing research. And so this isn't like easy stuff to talk about. You know, I mean, these are engineers who make really fancy, amazing things with their brains that I could never do but they're getting this super important information from people who have lived experience that they wouldn't have otherwise. So it really is a team effort to make something that will hopefully directly help people and will avoid a lot of costly steps that might not really be what people need. We have right now five research projects happening that 
Brian will talk to you about. Next, CTSI Science Cafe welcomes Dr. Brian Schmidt. I'd like to talk a little bit about the research that we do, but first let me ask if everybody knows what a stroke is. Does everybody know what a stroke is? What's a stroke? So it's an injury that occurs to the brain because of something that happens to the blood supply. There can be a clot in the, in the blood supply, or sometimes the brain will bleed. So when someone has a stroke, they go to the hospital, to the emergency room, and one of the first things that happens is they take a picture of their brain, and it can be a CT. Usually there's a CT image and an MRI image. And they, they want to find out if the patient is bleeding in the brain or if it's actually clotted. And then there's been a lot of research that's been done that targets that those first few hours after a stroke because they're very important. And then what happens is they're medically stabilized and they start this long process of recovery. And the process of recovery can take years. And so um, initially they're in the inpatient rehabilitation unit or, um, and, and that, can be, that can last for a few days to a few weeks. It used to be uh, years ago when I started doing research that pe- patients were in the inpatient rehabilitation unit for three months. Um, but because of changes in healthcare, that's all changed now. And so they're discharged home and then they come into the clinic for outpatient therapy. And the therapy can be comprised of a variety of activities. Sometimes it's involved in restoring their gross motor function. Sometimes it's very functional. Can you feed or, or comb your hair? Um, and because a lot of the problems that occur after stroke are involved with movement, uh, there's also speech therapy because speech is very strongly affected. And so we're, the research that we're doing is focused on that recovery process. How can we develop technologies that affect that recovery? And so I mentioned the imaging is done initially, but there's also a lot of devices that are made that can help somebody to recover, right? So you may get on a treadmill and walk, or you may have a robot that you can use to help you move your arm. And these devices can, uh, are a big part of what we look at and what we do as well. And the last sort of area that we focus on is right now we're trying to look for new ways to increase the intensity of therapy. And sometimes uh, someone with a stroke can't move a lot, so it's hard to get an intense exercise after you've had a stroke. And so we're focusing on looking at some ways to sort of simulate that intensity uh, and make it feasible for people to do that. So that's that's where our projects are, are centered around. So... I'll tell you a little bit about what we do with imaging. The projects that we're working on in imaging focus on, we're using magnetic resonance imaging of the brain, or MRI. And that's that big machine that has a hole in it, and they put you on this table and they slide you in, and it uses magnetic fields um, to to find out uh, some information about the brain. And there's two types of information we find. We find out where the stroke was and how big it was, so location and size. And it turns out that location, in many ways, may be even more important than the size of the stroke. And so we're learning that. And one of the things we're trying to do is if we can take an image, a picture of of where that uh, damage is initially after a stroke, it may help us to design therapies. So for example, if the stroke might be affecting speech centers more than movement centers, or it might um, affect how we, um, you know, cognitive function or memory more than it affects, you know, something else. And so that's an important thing that we can do with with imaging. So imaging, what we're looking at is is looking for new ways to use imaging 
to design therapy personally for somebody, and so that's a big area of what we're doing. We're also, the other thing we can measure with imaging is which parts of the brain are active, are still being functional. And we're learning now, a big area in science that we're looking at now is not only what parts of the brain become active, because we know like this part of the brain allows me to move my finger, right? And another part of the brain allows me to move my leg, and another part of the brain allows me to speak or to process language. So those parts of the, knowing what part of the brain are still active and can be active are very important. But it's also, what we're finding out is it's not only important what parts are active, but how, it's, how they're all connected to each other. And so this is a big area of research in general in the field, is looking at connectivity of the brain. Because the brain doesn't just operate with one little part at a time, it actually is all connected together. And it turns out that a stroke may affect the connectedness more then it affects any particular region of the brain being damaged. And so that may be the most important thing about determining how well somebody might do or how well they'll learn. And it turns out the nice thing about that idea is that when you recover from stroke or when you rehab, you can reconnect areas. And so a project that we have going on right now, going to be enrolling subjects for very soon, is to look at a therapy. Uh, Dr. McGuire, my colleague, John, who is co-director of the center, he injects Botox into muscles. Do you know what Botox is? Most people think about it for your face, right, because it's cosmetic, right? And what it does is it paralyzes muscles, believe it or not. And so he injects as a therapy, he injects Botox, which is a poison to the muscle, and it um, can help them relax an arm. So a lot of people with stroke, they end up tight like this. Their arm ends up very tight. And if they can put the Botox in, they can then get the arm to hand to extend and the arm to extend. And then we try to give them intensive therapy. And what we're doing with the imaging is to see how the areas of the brain reconnect, um, if we can find out how that works. Um, and then that might help us in terms of as we go forward designing these therapies where we, um, we apply Botox or something else. So that's one area that we're using imaging, and it's also using an application in the clinic. Any questions about that? Yeah. I had a friend who uh, had a stroke in his brainstem. Am I understanding you right in saying that you're trying to get everybody to have that same kind of intensive effort? My mother also had a brainstem stroke, by the way. So there's two things about um, a stroke that we don't know. Someone can have a stroke acutely or, or shortly after the stroke. It can be very severe. We think they're going to die sometimes. Um, and then they recover full function. And some other people will have a stroke that's less severe, but they don't recover full function. So one of the things we want to know is who's going to recover and who's not, because that information is very important for the family to understand and to deal with the, cope, cope with the situation initially, and as well as later on. But yes, the, the other question was about the, the, the speech, and so where the, where the stroke occurs and how it may affect speech in different ways, for example. There has been a movement now that's just beginning about intensive therapy. At the, at the Marquette Speech Clinic, they have a summer program for intensive speech therapy, specifically focusing on speech. People will come in and, uh, from all over the country, and they take a small number. I think it's usually 8 to 12, and they give them intensive therapy. Um, the colleague, my colleague at the Rehab Institute of Chicago uh, focused on very intensive gait therapy or walking therapy. And his idea is that in therapy, people aren't working hard enough, and 
we all know that exercise can be really helpful to us, right? Not only does it keep us fit, our whole well-being, if you will, is because of exercise. And one of the reasons that occurs is that there are chemicals released in our body associated with exercise, right? So we have another study where actually that sort of simulates that the intensity where we cut off the blood supply to a limb. And we're using an impaired leg right now in people with stroke. And we do it intermittently, so we, we stop the blood flow to the leg and then we let it go. And it doesn't harm the person, but what it does is, uh, you know when you exercise really hard and you get that sort of achy feeling in your muscles? It's because the, the muscle is, is burning up glucose or sugars to go, and there's these byproducts, we call them lactic acid buildup, maybe you've heard that. When you occlude the blood flow, even though you're not moving the muscle very hard, you can get that buildup of those products, and all those chemicals are released, and in some ways they may be beneficial. So our initial data are really promising here. By simply having some occlusion to the limb, we're getting increases in strength, we're getting increases in ability to walk, and it's almost like hocus-pocus to me because I've challenged the therapist. Says, What's going on here? We have to figure out why this is occurring. And so Allie Hingstrom, my colleague, is in the process of, of running this trial where they're going to take people and, and they're squeezing their legs. Uh, they actually just sit in a chair. They don't even have to be exercising. And then she's also doing this in conjunction with uh, people who are walking. So they'll apply this and they'll have people walk to practice walking to see if they then walk better after. And those, pro those results are very promising as well. Um, people walk faster after this therapy. And so it's related to this idea of intensive exercise. And we're doing the intensive exercise, you know, in people who can't do it, right? And so we're trying to supplement it. There have been other studies um, that have done things similar where, for example, they've taken altitude trainers. So people who are elite athletes, they'll sometimes try to train at altitude. What you can do is you can create a mask that simulates that and that has a similar effect because it stresses the body a little bit. That stress produces these uh, beneficial chemicals that seem to help, things like that. But this, this new therapy is so simple about squeezing a leg and people getting better from that. Another project I want to talk about a little bit is uh, I mentioned we do some devices as well to help with therapy. So there's a physical therapist in the Stroke Center doing a research project that involves pedaling a bicycle. Now, what's interesting about pedaling a bicycle is if you have a bicycle, you can pedal it basically with one leg, right? And the other one doesn't have to be doing a whole lot. And so people who've had a stroke, they tend to use their strong leg, and the other leg doesn't do as much work. And so the, there may be good things about that, and there may be bad things. So they can compensate for the weakness in one leg by using the other leg. But when they do the pedaling, they're not actually using their impaired leg. And we think practice with the bad leg is probably really beneficial. And so we've created a device where we can have them pedal, but we took the crank and we separated it, and so they have to crank each side separately. And then we use a motor in each leg to help provide sort of the assistance as needed. So if they're having a little trouble getting around in a certain part of the pedaling cycle, we provide a little push for them. And that seems to be very promising. And we also do the imaging with that study as well to figure out if their brain is being reconnected. Because when we pedal with two legs, this part of the brain connects to my left leg and this part of the brain connects to my right leg. But they have to communicate. And that communication is something between the two sides is something that becomes disrupted after a stroke. And so it turns out that people with a stroke can pedal with one leg with their impaired leg. Actually, they can do it okay. But if you ask them to do both legs together, they can't do it with their impaired leg. When they have to do this sort of more complicated task, 
that involves both sides in communication, they have trouble doing that, that activity. And then another thing that we're working on is uh, we have a treadmill in our laboratory and we mounted it onto, a, we call it a motion base, like the Spider-Man ride at uh, Universal Studios, where the car never actually goes anywhere, it just kind of moves you around like this and you think you're moving really fast and it's not really moving very fast, it's just moving back and forth. So we took that base that does that and we put a treadmill on it so people can walk on this treadmill and it, we can simulate different terrain. And then we have 3D goggles, but we also at Marquette, we now have a, an immersive cave so we can provide visual information in the whole environment. It turns out people who have had a stroke, one of the things they have difficulty with is balancing, especially while they're walking. And the therapy, they give people handrails and a therapist, and they don't challenge their balance because they they're afraid they're going to fall in therapy. And so they never really get very good practice at trying to balance. But with this device, we can put them on a harness so people are safe, and then they can practice walking and we can challenge their balance while they're doing it. And we can modify all of the visual information they're getting as well. The last project that we're doing is collecting data on people who have had a stroke. When someone is getting care in the clinic, oftentimes a measurement is made. How well can you do this thing or how well can you do that? But a comprehensive measurement of how they do everything is never made. And so clinical care is really putting your finger in the hole in the dike. But you don't know that there's a weakness somewhere else in the dike. What we were trying to do is develop a set of tests that the clinicians can do in the clinic where we get a comprehensive assessment of where the person who's had a stroke is. And this can be done years after your stroke because there might be areas where improvement is still possible but it has never been identified. John, my clinical director, his vision is that we would have this information for the clinicians available to them. And so anybody who would come into the Stroke Rehabilitation Center as a patient would undergo this set of tests and then that information would then be available to guide their clinical care. It could be personalized for each patient. And then the data would go into a database that could then be mined. The key in all of this is connecting research to actual people and impacting their lives directly. And this is something I've always wanted to do. I've always had a therapist in my laboratory because as an engineer, I'm not relevant unless it's impacting somebody's life. And that's the way I look at it. And so it's really important for me to see these engineering things come out of the laboratory and make sure that people are having access to them. And, that, um, and that's why we have a community advisory board. We want to figure out where problems are and where we need to direct our research. And uh, there have been some interesting ideas that have come from our community advisory board. You know, our volunteers, many of them come in, and they always want to come in for more because they always learn something and they always have something to share. Uh, even, even the laboratory becomes sort of a nice community. So I think that's where I'd like to leave it. And if there are any questions, I'd be happy to talk about what we're doing. Yeah. So once you decide something like the movable treadmill effective. Is it different with therapy as far as the timeline to getting it approved? How does that process go? The key issue is reimbursement on it. And this has been uh, one of the things that is a barrier to getting new therapies into the clinic because the coding basically is for therapy, okay? And then the, the facility has to decide what tools the therapist will have available to them to do the therapy. So the question is, can you develop a therapy that then you can develop the code for? So the process basically is from the research laboratory, we will begin to run a study, a clinical study, where we'll get people in and determine feasibility. We then run a clinical trial, 
right, to demonstrate feasibility. Now, if there's a device involved, someone will want to build the device and sell it if it proves to be effective. So that industry is regulated by the Food and Drug Administration, obviously. And so if they approve the device, then the device can be sold. Yeah. I was curious about the treadmill device. Where do you see that it is in the process of development, approval, and even its interest among clinicians? So we're currently running a clinical trial on that project, a small clinical trial in multiple sclerosis, not in stroke at this point. And so we're trying to see if it's effective. And it's an active trial. We're currently enrolling, but we have completed four weeks of training. We're on our third subject right now in the study. We intend to do it in stroke as well. The issues with balance are different in multiple sclerosis and stroke. People with stroke, interestingly, they do have a higher incidence of falls, but they tend to move all of their body weight over their good leg. So when they fall, often they fall on their good side and not on their impaired side, which is really odd, right? We would think they'd be falling on their impaired side. But the way people with stroke perceive their body is different. And so it occurred to me that their perception is about their body and space is very different than it is for people who haven't had a stroke. Well, thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to CTSI Science Cafe, brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and recorded live at St. Anne Center for Intergenerational Care, Bucyrus Campus in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We invite you to join us and be part of our next community conversation. To learn more about CTSI Science Cafe and how you can attend, please visit our website at ctsi.mcw.edu. While you're there, sign up as a community member. We need your help to advance clinical and translational team science and improve the health of people worldwide. And be sure to also check out our CTSI Discovery Radio podcast series as well. CTSI Science Cafe is produced by Dr. Oshoya Garrison, co-produced by Brian Belmer. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Doriel Ward and Dr. Reza Shakir.